Hey Phil. Hey Laurie. Now, Phil, did you know, and uh, listeners, welcome to Super Belly Bros in Movie Land, Season 2, Episode 20, oh no, 30, Episode 30. Oh, not far off a second anniversary there, yeah. is it? Yeah. Mm. Um, did you know, listeners, that sometimes people ask me, or in fact, people quite often ask me, how much of the show is scripted? Have people ever asked you that, Phil? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think my friends think it could be scripted. Really? No. Do well, they think... I thought that was quite a reasonable assumption. I thought it was kind of clear that, <laughs> believe it or not, we are just talking off the top of our heads always but people have asked me quite a number of times sometimes we say oh i've got a joke so do like just te- before we hit me record up. you mean yeah, yeah but it's never scripted our responses aren't, aren't witty enough to be scripted. no i agree and in fact to demonstrate that listeners i thought i'd do something today that phil is not aware of because <laughs> i've actually like, why don't we see what it would be like if we had scripted the introduction to the show are you up for that phil do i have a script i've got one right here for you have so, you actually yeah here we go here we go just rustle it, Phil, to prove that it is a real script. Oh, listen to that. It's actually printed on cardboard. That's all I've yeah, got in the house. And I apologise. I like the font. You've gone for a scripty it's, font. It's Korea new, Phil. Oh, very, very precise. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So, listeners, this is what it would be like. <laughs> this is how you know if we actually scripted it. So, yeah. <laughs> Join again. Wow, Laurie, what a good idea. Oh, hold on. I need to get my side of the script up. Hold on. Just <laughs> say that again. Say that again. Wow, Laurie, what a good idea. Now I sound polished and professional. Right on, Phil. So, what are the films we're reviewing today? Well, you see, Transformers the last night, fifth in the series with Michael Bay back to direct, and Rock Dog, right? Yes. What have you watched, Lazy Bones? We're a man chillax. I've seen Gifted with Chris Evans. Is that you all? Stop laughing. Stop laughing. I can't believe you actually scripted this. Is that all? Is that all you've seen? Uh, well, yeah, I'm not as connected with the glorious world of films as you, man. <laughs> Simmer down there, my friend. Do we have anything else? We're covering some movie news for a change with the simply outrageous stories of Daniel Day-Lewis's retirement from acting and Disney firing directors Phil Lord and Chris Miller from the Star Wars Han Solo film. Goodness, it sounds like Disney's in for a galaxy of trouble there, Phil. Ha 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 Laurie. I hope you're paying rental on that. On what? The direct line you've got to my funny face. <laughs> This is terrible. Good, good uh, one, Phil. <laughs> oh, I've got to take a vote to stop laughing. Enough jokes. We don't want people to get out of breath. Isn't there something else you wanted to cover? <laughs> well, yes, actually. I've got a very brief thing I'd like some listener input on. It's kind of a movie hate and a movie love all in one. Wow, that sounds fascinating. It sure is. What we've been watching is back for some super speedy reviews and we'll tell you which films we're covering when we get there. Absolutely right, Phil. And we've got your emails and tweets towards the end of the show, so stay tuned to hear what our listeners have been saying. Finally, check patreon.com forward slash superbaileybros if you'd like to learn about how you can support our show. And get in touch on superbaileybros at gmail.com and at superbaileybros on Twitter <laughs> with any thoughts. Big or small, we love them all. What's so, weird about this? I can't, I've got to go off script. What's what? weird about this is it sounds kind of like the actual show. I haven't finished. Oh, sorry. You've got to stick with it. Sorry. So true, Phil. So true. That's in relation to big or small, we love them all. Uh, well, shall we get this crazy excuse for a show on the road? You bet, bro. Make ready the sails. Wait the anchor. It's time for the SS Movie Lads to launch. Farewell. Bye-bye. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> what are you talking about? Did you like the script, Phil? Uh, yeah, but it's. I think we've probably done ourselves no favours because now we sound like we are scripted. No, I don't think so, Phil. I think when you listen back to it, there's not a chance <laughs> that sounds an actual... I enjoyed it. I enjoyed having something actually to read. Did you I really? It's easy. It's like, it takes the pressure off a bit. I hope you realised the jokes there were slightly tongue-in-cheek. Did that come across or not really? Yeah. Mm.
Phil, let's do some nostalgia ring. Are you ready? Yeah. Did you ever watch Transformers when you were younger? I did watch Transformers. Well, I sort of did. I watched Beast Wars. Oh, yeah. Where it was that. like the animal. It was the Dinobots versus the animal bots or whatever. Animal yeah. or whatever. And uh, that, was, that was brilliant. 3D animation. Ooh. At the time, it would, you know, blow your socks off stuff, wasn't it? Because oh, they had yeah. Megatron and Optimus Prime, didn't they? Yeah, it was like, it was all the, the kind of trappings of a Transformer, but it was like the modern episode was version. Was Megatron of it. a T-Rex and Optimus Prime was a gorilla? Yeah. It's weird, isn't it, that they haven't gone there yet? Well, I mean, they did do the dinosaur thing with uh, the last film, didn't they? But not Which... kind of in the same way. Like, the dinosaur, the T-Rex is more of a dog, where, yeah. as opposed to Megatron in this one. Yeah, yeah. It's where, it was certainly... It was one of those shows which I think if I watched back back now, I'd be cringing and sort of dying inside because it's so badly written. Yeah. But at the time, yeah, gold dust. Well, how strange this is that we're in this boat, five films into a franchise, and it's still making money. If anything, the film seems to be making more and more money. I, because I was having to write about it, I looked up some of the figures. And the first Transformers, I think, made something like $700 million worldwide. And that was a huge gross over the budget, which was something like $300 million. And then if you skip four films forwards, normally those profit margins have started to dip, right? Because people are tired of the franchise. Not so with this film. The last film, Transformers Age of Extinction, grossed $1.1 billion uh, in the worldwide box office. Really? Yeah, and across the world, it shows no signs of slowing down. While at the same time, critically, the films are getting lower and lower and lower, and soon they're going to have to lower the floor <laughs> of Rotten Tomatoes and other things to accommodate Transformers. I think the thing is, it's so like etched in what the, the different aspects to these films are. You know, you've got the kind of main protagonist, you've got the robots, you've got some sort of new Transformer that appears, you've got a kind of goofy sidekick, whatever it is. It feels like very much formulaic. It feels like it's following a formula. But then Fast and Furious franchise seems to kind of do that as well, and yet seems to be doing brilliantly. Well, that's at number eight now, of course, yeah. Maybe they're hoping the same thing with this. I just, I'm astonished by it. Michael Bay is back to direct the fifth. That's five films on the trot for him in one franchise. That's impressive stuff. He must like it. Or it makes him a lot of money. Yeah, that is, well, I mean, we know that's already the case, don't we? Yeah. I think it's going to be nearly impossible for me to tell you the plot of this fifth film uh, because I would say there are about six different narrative jumping off points within the first 20 minutes of the film. Oh, really? In six separate threads, you expect to be twined together at a later point. And trying to figure out what the main one is, is difficult. Can I say the things that I've picked up from the trailers and things like that? Do your best, yeah. Optimus Prime is come back, but this time he's not the friendly, happy leader of the Autobots. He's the enemy or something like that. How interesting that you should say that. Sir Anthony Hopkins, who's the sort of the very talented actor sort of aged actor who's come into the franchise to give it a bit of credit normally it's uh, Stanley Tucci or um, Kelsey Grammer or whatever mm-hmm. this time it's Anthony Hopkins he's going to give the the history of the Transformers and why they keep on coming to Earth that's pretty good going He that's almost right nice job Phil keep going you've got something to do with Bumblebee and he, I've heard that he's going to have a spin-off franchise film or something like that yeah that's planned so yeah. I'm guessing he's the main thing you've got the return of Mark Wahlberg who Kate is Yeager. yeah Kate Yeager from the last film and uh, the impression I get is that something's happened now. There's sort of a post-apocalyptic world where the Transformers <laughs> are gone and they're hunted down and the whole of the society is sort of crumbling because uh, Megat- uh, uh, what's his name, Optimus, what's his face, is not there or something like that. Mm. It seems to be that there's loads of things going on and amongst all of this is kind of 
ways to sell toys, I guess. How funny. Like you, you it's just really interesting to hear that. And listen, have a go. If you go and see this film, you you try and explain what it's about and what happens to someone else. And you can enjoy the same thing that we're struggling through. You're sort of right about Anthony Hopkins, but not that much right about anything else. Oh really? You're sort of right in that this is after the events of the last film, Optimus Prime has gone away, and the Transformers, which seem to be constantly landing on planet Earth for some unknown reason, are not good guys. They're not liked by anyone anymore. So a military group called TRF are tracking them down and trying to suppress them, uh, push them into these alien zones and then destroy them whenever they can because they're hostiles, right? And I guess that must be to do with who's the bad guys? The Decepticons. Yes. And how they've caused problems in the past. So everyone kind of hates the Transformers except for a few plucky individuals. Mark Wahlberg is one of those, of course. So he's hanging out with the, some of the Transformers who survived, which includes Bumblebee, and he's trying to protect them from this military group. But that's not the starting point of the film. The starting point is Merlin and King Arthur, Phil. Of course. <laughs> you might need to replicate that size in a way that people can hear it, Phil. Oh, it's, that's so <laughs> awful. Why? Do you think so? It's like, uh, is King Arthur going to be a, a Transformer? Or is it the fact that Excalibur is, is in fact not a sword, it's, it's but not it's Excalibur. a Transformer? It's, it's Merlin, Phil. Merlin and magic are revealed to be all to do with the Transformers. Ugh. So as far back as the Arthurian legend was going, the Dark Ages of history, uh, the Merlin staff was actually a Transformers artifact bequeathed to him by some ancient Transformers. Not just that, it's it's the MacGuffin. It is what the entire film's about. They're looking for Merlin's star. Yeah, literally looking for Merlin's star. Oh my and this stuff to do with descendants of the Witwickens. Remember who Sam Witwicky? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there's also Optimus Prime does get to Cybertron, the original planet. It's all broken down and he meets this godlike Transformer thing who also wants Merlin's staff so that she can drain the energy from Earth to rebuild her planet. But then there's like a hundred different side stories in between. And to illustrate that rather nicely, here is a scene featuring absolutely none of those characters. <laughs> uh, and it, what you're going to hear sounds like it might be Stranger Things in the Transformers universe. So here you go and I'll explain it later. So that was Isabel Mona or Mona or Monet Phil, a young actress I'm not that familiar with, helping these youths uh, who've all climbed into this Transformers restricted area uh, because she loves the Transformers and she's mates with them. So she's helping them be looked after. And the noises you heard there are them sheltering under a Transformer who is also camouflaged by rubble, trying to hide from these basically Star Wars chicken walker looking things controlled by TRF. Make sense? No. Yeah, no, sort of. And like I say, that's got basically nothing to do with the rest of the film. That's why I chose that trailer. Forgive me if that's a bit of an obnoxious thing to do. But you very quickly 
you leave all those guys to go on this quest for Merlin staff. And listeners, the film is bonkers. The way I introed my newspaper review was that towards the end, you have a scene where the Marines that we're all familiar with are on a mission. And they basically say, where's the target? Find the target. The target's changed. Give me an eye on that target. And I was thinking, that's how I feel, man. (laughs) What is the target? That two-minute scene explains like the whole two and a half hours of this film. Like, what, what am I supposed to be thinking about? Who am I supposed to care about? Michael Bay, I don't think, cares. I don't think he cares in the slightest. It, it, the fact that that re- is reminiscent of Stranger Things to me is the key to unlock the way that these films are made. So they're not made uh, with necessarily a formula. I don't think actually they need to cohere or have a formula at all. I think they just need to have enough separated elements apparently part of the same film that will individually appeal to different demographics, right? So you've got the big CGI action sequences, which younger guys, I suppose, might like. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be sexist about that. It could be anyone, but that's the typical one, I suppose. You've got slightly more almost innuendo-ish comedy between Mark Wahlberg's Cade Yeager and this, uh, you know, glamorous history professor from Oxford, Laura Haddock, uh, down the line. And, and then Anthony Hopkins, the well, you know, well-known actor. Respected Maybe you'll actor, yeah. convince someone to come into the cinema for that, but then they'll be treated to him just swearing the entire time and acting oh. like like a teenage boy and that it's so calculated for sort of lowest common denominator appeal and here's the thing it obviously works look at those box office numbers worldwide america it peaked early and then dipped it started to dip but, but in china overall, i'm guessing exactly china all over the world the overall box office is rising it's like it's the most refined commercial piece of cinema around and with success like that i genuinely think this might be the future of cinema, Phil, as the economy gets more and more globalised. That is so depressing, though. It's not a surprise, because Michael Bay got his start in advertising, and he is a man, you know, famously with a commercial sensibility. He knows how much money is involved. He said, he said some quite interesting things. He seems to have a genuine appreciation for the people who funded him, so he understands the financial responsibility he has to deliver profit. But it's kind of tough that that dictates a film to such an extent, because the film is a nonsensical mess in every way imaginable even michael bay's sort of stylish camera work where he has his low angles and spinning stuff and he has the sheen of sweat on the actors and he has the high contrast sun bleach you know color palette the uh, most amazing explosions and cgi effects money can buy even that is starting to look hollow because there is so little to hold all together was there anything to enjoy not really phil actually this is a very unenjoyable film for me because all the stuff that could have been fun is so buried in that mess and the film is so long that by the end like it was just like i felt blank i felt like i'd started vanishing you know like but like the end of back to the future 2 when you start looking through your <laughs> head so like, am i even really here anymore i'm not sure that i am it's so long and dull it's even hard to remember what you've seen so no, I don't think it's enjoyable. Do you think it's worse then than other films, or is it just what it is? It's just a Transformers film. Is it kind of it is a genre kind of in what it itself? is? I mean, because it. What's tough about it is it is competent. Everything about it is competent. It's sort of the most shiny it could possibly be, and each individual element is handled fairly well. I had to admit, actually, you know what we said about King Arthur: Legend of the Sword, and it might be the King Arthur thing that's making me think it in particular. Mm. I've never before noticed how similar Michael Bay and Guy Ritchie are in their approach to things because they just do the dialogue that makes no sense and it's very fast fast cuts you know super stylized uh, color schemes and shot angles and shot styles but it all adds up to something that's totally incoherent right mm. 
And uh, you know what you said about Oxford in the Mummy last week, Phil? Yeah. There's a lot of Oxford in this film. I'd, I'd wager there is more Oxford in this film. Blenheim Palace? Yeah, Blenheim Palace gets used twice. Um, so they use, one, they use the front of it and the back of it to represent different places, oh, <laughs> which is fantastic. That's oh, really no. hilarious. Uh, the Bridge of Sighs near the Turf Tavern uh-huh. is used brilliantly because they drive cars under it several times in one shot, um, as if there are several bridges like that in Oxford, like as if oh, we're in no. Venice or something, which we're not, of is course. Is Oxford uh, a major set piece for... Well, the girl, Laura Haddock, this professor of history, History who gets helps uh, who gets roped in to help track down this missing staff right she's not a professor of history let's put it that way she she's in the bodleian she's outside the radcliffe camera that's where she parks her car and hilariously knocks over some bikes because she's that kind of character and it's sort of I, maybe it's michael bay trying to address the criticism he's received for these megan fox types right that keep on appearing in his film now he's got this super intelligent but also really beautiful woman doing his thing it's laura haddock is her name she's married to sam claflin you said she was in guardians of the galaxy she was in guardians of the galaxy she was uh, peter quill's mum in a flashback and she was also in the inbetweeners movie she was the kind of main interest for the there you go for the the main guy simon bird's character and so she is she is the sex appeal for the film right and she's potentially a love interest for mark Wahlberg, who must be so much older than she is i I, I didn't buy that but they've also they go over the top to show how clever she is because oxford 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 they just keep saying oxford all the time as if you'll buy it because of where they are anyway that's a really good example because they all they care about is the aesthetics right and that's that's the whole thing it's the aesthetic it's the lowest common denominator appeal it makes no sense it's completely dumb it's not enjoyable. It's not very funny. The action's poor. The ending sequence is the most overblown rubbish I've seen in quite some time. It's just the big CGI planet mulch that we've seen in all the superhero films. And I bet you anything, Phil, it'll make a load of money. But probably not in Western audiences. Is that what you're thinking? Well, the critics are in already and everyone hates it, which is no surprise. But I, I think loads of people will still go and see it. And there is, I have some sympathy with audiences like that because, you know, I have spoken fairly you know, hopefully positively about films like Baywatch and Fast and Furious 8, um, Monster Trucks, because I really do think we shouldn't sneer at the fact that cinema is probably more to entertain than it is to artistically impress, right? Mm. Because that's where the money is. If you want to keep getting funded, you need people to get into your cinemas to watch commercial films. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything wrong with just light entertainment, basically. I completely agree, Phil, as long as it's well made. This isn't well made, but it ticks all the light entertainment boxes. It is so skillfully done that if you're of a one demographic, there will be something that you like in it and there'll be something that you hate. I think almost every demographic will feel that. So everyone will feel as though somewhere in those two and a half hours, they've had something to enjoy. And that's what you bank on. That's why you buy a ticket. But I just, I don't think that's right. Should they get, can they get away with this? Well, there's no, I don't think there's any artistic integrity at all to this film. And listeners, if you watch it, I'd love to know if you think I'm wrong. The one thing I will give it is that there's one scene I thought was really quite good, actually. So here's my thing, Phil. <laughs> here's the one thing that I like and everything else I didn't like. Mm. There's a scene where uh, Mark Wahlberg and a little crew go and hide out in a town that they've previously rigged against people who might track them down. Because he's kind of a fugitive, right? With all these missing Transformers. Yeah, yeah. And TRF, this military group, track him down. But the way that they do it is by sending in a fleet of drones to the town. And there's one sort of master drone that leads to a whole lot of other ones. And the tiny drones look a lot like Darth Vader's TIE fighter, if you can picture that little horseshoe shape. Yeah. And what they've, they've got that, but they've also got a kind of turret out of a video game at the front. So they've got a shield with a gun sticking through it. And these drones fly around inside buildings and it's a chase scene. They're running away from these drones 
as if they're flies, deadly flies, and at the same time trying to take them out. And I think that is shot well. I think it's produced really brilliantly. I think the concept's fantastic. I thought, wow, this is fun. I don't feel like I've seen it before. And they even get away with a Legolas in um, The Hobbit. Which film was it where he jumped across the falling bridge? Oh, yeah. They even get away with a Mario moment like that. But for Mark Wahlberg, I'll bet you anything he liked it. And that's my second sort of mini bonus, which is that Mark Wahlberg is good at acting with CGI. There is it is. He? Yeah, he's good, man. You've got a picture. You you know when someone in a scene is not good at it, he's good at it, and he gets a lot of it as well. He is clearly often in rooms that are entirely blue or entirely green with guys holding tennis balls on sticks, and he's pretty good. He's saying, look here, this guy's talking to you now. And He's good at it, man. There's something about Mark Wahlberg. It's some, I think it's slightly the punchability of his face. His face. <laughs> like it's confused a, face. Permanent. But confused and angry at the same time. And he's almost like he's angry with you. And if you challenge him, you're like, you're like what, are you, what are you talking about? This is great. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And somehow he gets away with it. So yeah. that's it all. And I, I will give it a, a C-. minus. I think it's very poor. Oh, wow. So there you go. I'm guessing maybe some people might end up seeing this film. Definitely. I think loads of people will, Phil. I'd be, I'd be dazzled if none of our listeners go and see it. So if you do, if please If none email. of our listeners. So you're yep. expecting one or two of our listeners. Loads definitely. of them will, especially if they've got kids. Okay. Well, if you are one of those listeners who do go and see Transformers last night. Yeah, the last night. The last night. Then let Laurie know if you agree with him or disagree with him. Send in your plus ones, your minus ones to support or disagree. And uh, do tell us why. We'd love to hear dissenting views yeah and a big plus one to any of you who do go and watch it and don't rub your eyes once or lose the thread of what on earth is going on at least once do you find yourself sort of sitting there sometimes and you sort of you forget that you're watching something and instead your your eyes just kind of glaze over and you start just thinking about life yeah that's right and that is off that people i've heard people talk about that before as the test of a bad film and you just think about other things like i was thinking about some work emails <laughs> even, I got earlier in the day. even <laughs> yeah. though there's like explosions of robots jumping out of buildings and everything and yeah, massive yeah, yeah. guns you're sort of like i'm just thinking it's completely that experience man guaranteed <laughs> Was there a lighthouse song called Lifted or something like that? We could be lifted. Yeah, but change it. Lifted, change it to gifted lift, so we could do the joke. Okay. We could be gifted from the shadow. <laughs> this is how it goes. Gifted. 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 Isn't it like that? That's my little joke trick. <laughs> you made me do it. <laughs> I know you did a good job. <laughs> this film is called Gifted, believe it or not, and it stars Chris Evans. It also stars uh, a very little girl. That's McKenna Grace, Phil. Who is a newcomer? Yes, as far as I know, she's very new to cinema, yep. And this is directed by Mark Webb. Do you know who Mark Webb is? Yeah, come on, Phil. Look, you're talking to a man who's reviewed this film twice on the radio. And that's what I'm reviewing, because I've seen it as well. I've got nothing else to talk about. Uh, It's Mark Webb did The Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2, and he also did my favourite film, 500 Days of Summer. Laurie's being ironic there for those Mm. listeners who haven't heard the show Mm. before. Um, So I was interested in seeing this film because it was Mark Webb, and I do think he is quite a good filmmaker. I think I was interested to see how he would do when he's not under kind of the studio system and having to fulfil that franchise expectations that we talked about with Michael Bay. So could he perform as well as he did with 500 Days of Summer and kind of create an interesting independent sort of film? As well as he did or as mm, something else as he did, (laughs) yeah. Anyway, so this film follows Chris Evans as he plays Frank, a kind of down-on-his-luck guy who fixes boats, and he has got... Uh, well, he's in charge of a little girl who might just be very, very bright indeed. She's called Mary. And uh, we meet them as Mary is about to go to school, and for whatever reason, she hasn't been at school. She seems to be homeschooled, and there's a tension. They don't really want to go... Is, is it the right thing for this really bright girl to go to school? Will she function well? She seems to be a bit socially awkward... And we have a clip and this is them talking about 
how that first day went. I didn't want to go to the stupid school in the first place. And the boy in the next row acts inappropriately for someone who's a child. I'm sorry, I'm still passive-aggressively ignoring you. Other kids answer questions, they don't get into trouble. You didn't get in trouble for answering questions. You yelled at the principal. Oh, you know what? You're going to find this interesting. So I googled first graders who yell at the principal, and statistically, you're never going to believe how many kids do it. How many? None. So there you go, Mary had a relatively difficult first day at school. She was absolutely infuriated by the low level of teaching she was getting from Jenny Slate, who was playing her school teacher called Bonnie. And basically she found school really easy and she doesn't really like anyone. She doesn't like the teachers. She's rude. She's a bit nasty to people. But maybe it's just because this kid is actually brilliant and maybe she should be somewhere else. This kind of then moves on to the main sort of structure of the film, which is uh, this little girl's grandmother gets involved and they kind of reveal different parts of the backstory to why she's with Frank and then there's a custody battle basically uh, where should this little girl go should she be under the care of Frank or should she be under the care of her grandmother and which school should she go to is it right that uh, a little girl who might be just the most brilliant person ever is it right to squander that talent that potential that's right but I mean maybe there are reasons both ways yeah, basically this film is Goodwill Hunting for Babies. <laughs> That's a good point. That is a good point. It is kind of like that, and except you don't really focus in on uh, the Goodwill Hunting man, Will Hunting. You instead focus in on one of the professors who sort of argue over what should happen to um, Matt Damon. That's kind of, imagine that as the structure. You're following more Chris Evans than you are the little girl. That's right. She sort of disappears, doesn't she, uh, halfway through? Yeah, it's, well, it's kind of not really about her. It's, she's the idea of the film, but the film is actually about... Um, well about the idea of what is what is right about talent should it be pursued to the full or is it better to live and raise a normal person am i allowed to say i'm quite glad that she disappeared halfway through i thought she was very good but the way that that film sets it up and in that clip as well it's just te- it's just terrible i mean it grates genuinely grates it's like having fingernails on a blackboard for me with that guitar music and the cutesiness of it we missed out a bit when they talk about their one-eyed cat which is obviously so great because he's got one eye well it's funny because i actually heard laurie's review on bc oxford before i saw this film mm. and i heard you say the first 10 15 minutes will make you want to die inside if i say that you didn't say that but that's what i took away from it <laughs> knowing felt, you yeah and and then it gets better and it sort of wins you over and lo and behold that's how i felt watching this oh, film great. I, initially i was like oh no really <laughs> oh it's so on the nose with its dialogue the characters are a bit like just oh, badly drawn they seem very cliched the whole structure seems very cliched you've got octavia spencer sort of the kindly neighbor who loves this little girl more than uh, more than chris evans and she does. and herself is becoming kind of typecast in that role as well in a, in a disappointing way i think and so you start the movie in all honesty kind of hating it i agree with you Laurie. it was the worst beginning to a movie i've ever seen and yet i was quite won over I think there's a lot more going on, but the film is definitely back-ended in its sort of interesting ideas and interesting concepts. And that's partly because the film is revealing to you slowly the situation in its full extent and what that means. And it does that quite well, I think. It drip-feeds you with good pieces of information that keep you interested in the scenario, interested in the characters. And actually, I think what is interesting is it teaches you to care about these characters in a different way than you thought you would. Totally, yeah. I do have some issues with the film because I am somewhat invested in kids of this age, shall we say, oh, in, sure in my professional life. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and also I know lots of teachers and things like that. I hated with a 
passion so much the the lesson scene at the start of the movie in which <laughs> What's you have one plus one yeah and it's the most ridiculous <laughs> thing ever like who wrote that who thinks that is what teachers are like how about this then what's three plus three? Oh, it was unbearable that was part of the cringy moment for me listeners and i think you would even even if you have no idea what it's like being in a school i think you would find that unbearable yeah yeah but also just the simple fact that i know what seven-year-olds are like I found her characterization really, really frustrating. So the teacher or the, or the young girl? The long, young girl, Mary. I found her, as a seven-year-old, unbelievable. I didn't think she was right. It really bugs me when films seem to uh, think that the way that they can make a child interesting is to basically transplant an adult, sort of obnoxious personality into a little cute girl yeah, or yeah. a little cute guy. That's I don't a, think that's, that's a, real. A very common Hollywood thing. It's a very common thing, and it just exposes that they don't really know what children are like. That bugged you about Shane Black as well, didn't it? Yeah. I think it's a kind of trope that bothers me the sort of wise cynical child because even when you have very smart children they are not like adults they're people and I think it's important you show them with full ranges of emotion but they are not adults they are definitely children that's why you've got to watch I Wish by Hirokazu Koreda Phil you'll love it I think it's one of the best portrayals of kids I've ever seen because it does both those things that you just said but I think there's a lot to like in this film and I really would in some ways suggest you go see it. I think it could easily pass you by and it's very enjoyable. I found myself, yeah, I cared. By the end, I really did care and I was interested in the ideas of the film. But I think you're right, it, it improves when the girl, the little girl, the focus of the film slips into the background. Well, don't you think she improves as well? Like you're, everything you're saying about her performance, I thought she was good. By the end, I really believed her and she did generate real emotion for me in the scenes that she was in. What did you think of the grandmother character? Yeah, Evelyn, that's uh, Lindsay Duncan, who's fairly established. She, not a sort of A-team player like Maggie Smith or someone like that, but she, she's In growing, that sort of realm. Yeah, growing in recognition. Yeah, I thought she was good because uh, exactly as you say, it was a very good way of putting it, Phil, the drip feed is really present in her character just as it is with Chris Evans. I thought to some extent the resolution was uh, not quite how I really wanted it to be given how skillfully the film builds up to that point. But on the whole, I found her quite convincing. And I think her chemistry with Chris Evans was believable. Yeah, I thought he was good. I didn't believe that he was like this Boston professor or whatever. Well, they never explained that. So and he, yet also he, yeah. he's absolutely ripped and ridiculously handsome. I think. Yeah, and knows how to fix boats. <laughs> that slightly bothered me. But I think if you kind of, if you give it a bit of a break, I think there's a lot to enjoy in this film. But you have to be willing to go through a very tedious beginning. He's a good guy for that role, I thought. And maybe this is his Captain America chops shining through because I thought he was quite sincere, a flawed guy, but quite sincere. And I don't think that's an easy thing to do, especially if you're Mr. Hunk uh, 2017 or whatever. What did you think of Jenny Slate, the uh, primary school teacher? She was a bit of a foil and she transformed from being, what, you are actually a teacher, someone pays you to do this, into someone for whom teaching doesn't even matter anymore. And she just becomes like, oh, I'm a great girl for you, Chris Evans. Did you not think they had good chemistry? Well, I mean, are you, are you warming up to a little tidbit here, Phil? No, I'm not going to go there. Come on, I'm you not have to do, now. You've I don't want that. to do the gossip stuff. Well, you've done it. Come on, that's why you did Look at your face. <laughs> Listeners, <laughs> you can draw the dots from uh, from that yourselves. But uh -huh. is it believable chemistry? Is it natural chemistry? Is it off-screen chemistry? <laughs> I, basically, I thought they were, they were quite good. I, I believe the sort of developing sure. interest that they had. I think it's a kind of pleasant film to be in. I don't think it's the best film I've ever seen. I don't think it's uh, the most interesting film I've ever seen. But at the same time, it's it's palatable and intriguing if you don't fancy transformers it's probably still worth a go and parents you know be forewarned i think it's quite emotional for parents i think phil i think so anyway 
But that's that's where my other bugbear from my career choices comes yeah. in because I feel like this is a film which is going to feed the the nasty <laughs> side of parents, which is oh, it's all the ch- it's all the teachers' faults. They don't understand how brilliant uh, my child fail, is, fail, fail. and they just need to see the brilliance. And it's oh, it's all about the child Come on, being man, wonderful. Pro up, pro up. We don't bring our personal lives into the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I th- you can't help it, and that's my insight. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it's a familiar story, but told in quite a fresh way. And it's well directed, I think. I think we have now, to give credit. I, we disagree on that one. And it's not just because I hate 500 Days of Summer, although it's a little bit. Okay, change it to, it's well edited. I think the okay. structure of the film is very well done because it keeps you interested. It really does keep you interested and yeah. it develops and builds the scenario so that it doesn't stay stale. Good stuff, man. What would your grade be? I, I enjoyed it. I'd give it a B, I think. Yeah, I do think it is Goodwill Hunting light, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Goodwill Hunting is great, so... More of that, please. I'd agree with you. I think I'd give it the same grade as well. Uh, any bonuses from you? I'm not sure it's a bonus. I just, I really like the most cliched scene in the movie probably ever, which is when a character is in a state of undress and is sneaking around the house. And I can't even, oh, I can remember that scene. Yeah, that was quite well it's done. The most, it? It's the most done scene there is in cinema. And yet I found it funny and I thought it was, it was light and I, I liked the way it was done. Yeah, they did it well. She acted it well as well. That's true. Mm. Uh, do you want to hear my bonuses? What's your bonus? Well, number one, it's interesting you say about the directing because I read a review of the film later on saying, oh, it's an average film, but it's got stunning cinematography and direction, to which I must disagree. I thought this was very averagely directed. I mean, you have to admit that there was very little that was done visually that added to the themes and the dynamics of the film. And the one scene that people highlight is the sunset thing where they have their conversation about religion. As if and the people are talking about it as if it's the most innovative shot they've ever seen. But has no one seen the Karate Kid? I've seen a sunset <laughs> in the background before and but silhouettes. I think there is something to be said for the fact that you don't really feel the presence of the camera. It kind of melts away and you're just watching the film, I think. And that, maybe that's good then. Maybe it's restrained direction. Yeah, I think, I think you're being a bit yeah. prejudiced. It's all that 500 days of summer. Exactly. It's a very differently directed film than that. You agree with that, right? Yeah, and I think maybe I'm going to get a shot for this because I always say it. I like the fact that it's quite a small story. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, that's a good thing, man. It's good to know what you like. Uh, the other bonus listeners, before we move on really rapidly, is that we meant to review this last week, but we forgot. As from the bonus at the very end, which <laughs> I did not not expect you were going to put in as a bonus, which made me bonus, laugh bonus. very much <laughs> very very much uh laurie you've got another film to review haven't you oh yeah well let's not do it here let's play it let's do a break and i'll come back to it it's rock dog <laughs> okay so well you know we can we can squeeze we need to in. get a full full yeah, review yeah, of that yeah, yeah so maybe we can quickly do rock dog it's like the preview into movie news phil how about that <laughs> okay well just to try and get rock dog off your books really fast okay because listeners rock dog is a film that you can already watch on sky cinema weirdly uh, you could do that the day after it was released in cinemas right uh, and it's only just been released now. It was made in 2016. It's a Chinese-funded American production, and it's a guy who was a story consultant on Toy Story who's directing it. And it's based on a fairly well-regarded Chinese visual novel called Tibetan Rock Dog by Zheng Jun, I think is how you pronounce him. And the book is quite well-regarded, and it was made a long time ago. And I think that is the, the key, key thing. If you're going to watch Rock Dog, if you have to watch it because you've got kids and they want to watch something new... Know that as an adult because it will reveal to you uh, things about the movie industry that are far more interesting than anything on screen. In a nutshell, <laughs> is it a, a weird sort of insight? <laughs> I think so. I think it's fascinating because this, I mean, this dog, he's played by Luke Wilson, is the voice actor. J.K. Simmons is his dad. They're these dogs. They look after sheep in the Tibetan mountains and they try and protect them from wolves, okay? And they've got kung fu powers and stuff. The dad wants to train the dog to follow in his footsteps and look after the sheep. But the young dog, Luke Wilson, he hears a radio and he hears Eddie Izzard's weird rock cat guy talking about how he got started. And, and he says, you just got to play guitar. Keep playing it until you know it, it becomes part 
part of you. So Luke Wilson's little dog does this with a basically Kubo and the Two Strings knockoff guitar for ages and ages. He wants to be a musician, so he says to his dad, no, I can't stay and look after the sheep. I've got to go to the city and become a musician. His dad lets him do that. He has loads and loads of ups and downs, but because he's so naive and like a country dog in the big city, he does exactly what Eddie Izzard's cat rock guy says to do, which is not give up. He constantly plays outside Eddie Izzard's gate because he wants the cat to teach him how to play guitar and help him write a single. Eddie Izzard is having financial trouble. He has to finish an album, but he's struggling to finish it on time. And when he hears this dog has actually got some kind of weird talent, you know, you can picture it from there, right? He invites mm. him up. They record the song, but eventually the cat tricks him. And you're getting a picture here. And then there's a sort of big event that draws it all together again. Save the Village from Wolves. Release a sim- uh, amazing rock single and success. Hooray. Happy, happy, happy. How's that for a synopsis, Phil? Yeah, very, I mean, that's very an, brief. It's actually a complete spoiler synopsis, but <laughs> I take it no one is that desperate to know it. So with that out the way, it's like the most generic thing ever, right? It's yeah. a mix of Sing, which has just come out. It's a mix of Kubo and the Two Strings and also Kung Fu Panda, this Tibetan thing. Like they're doing all this Kung Fu stuff and they have these Kung Fu scenes. Yeah, that's the weird part of it, I think. Right. And I f- spent the whole time thinking, what am I watching? Like, this is the most unoriginal thing I've ever seen. Did they just have money left over in the budget they had to spend or something? <laughs> Are they trying to declare, is it some kind of just tax Just try thing and get some here? movie out, some sort of movie. But it can't be because of the source material, which predates, I believe, all of those other intellectual properties. Right. It's a proper thing that has been mishandled through a very long production cycle. I think they were in talks as early as 2009. Really? Yeah, and has become the most generic piece of rubbish ever. I think it's slightly the fault of this American director who's not got a lot of experience. He's called Ash Brannan. He wasn't a director for Toy Story. He was kind of, he was a co-director at some point. He obviously has worked hard to get this out the door, but doesn't have that much in the way of making things original. And they've tweaked things from the visual novel, which I hear are kind of violent. <laughs> like, there are some strange things going on there that are more in tune with a Chinese cultural approach. And they've stripped all that out to make it a worldwide film. And it's completely anodyne and unoriginal. And, and it's also had what they call second-tier animation, real FX. Uh, did the animation for it, the CGI animation, and they'd done Free Birds and another film, uh, both of which were you know, quite well lauded, but they were just being used as like a factory, in this case, to push it out the door. So textures are really bare and bland and boring. None of the environments seem real. None of the characters have any personality. The only thing that is top tier is the voice talent. So I just think, isn't it fascinating that something that was original and that was an old idea now looks completely packaged and unoriginal and dull and uninspired? And how does that happen? It's the machine, right? Is that enough, Phil? I mean, I've gone through so fast. Have you got anything to say? No, I think you've kind of encapsulated everything that's interesting about it. There's I don't all... want to see the film, but no, I'm no, kind of... I, I can't it's recommend curious. it. There are almost no jokes in it, and the ones that are there, it's almost like they said to Eddie Izzard, "Can you just say something funny? Just say it." And he just did the first thing that came to his mind. I said, "Yep, yeah, good. That's a wrap. <laughs> Job done." And nothing about it is appealing or will last with you. That said, it's inoffensive, and if you've got young kids, I'm sure it's fine. But you know, they won't notice if you just put on an old film again. <laughs> What's the grade? It's a C plus. It's it's very very average. But I think better like, than Transformers. Yeah, it was definitely better than Transformers, Phil. Yeah, no doubt about that. It's much shorter for a start. Okay. Uh, but the history and the stuff surrounding it is fascinating. And there's even some suggestions. And I'm wary about saying these kind of things on the podcast because I haven't done the research. Right. There are some suggestions that politics behind the production companies have contributed to it having such a small scale release. Uh, and possibly contributed to its outcome. So it's it's all about behind the scenes with this film, if you're going to get any interest out of it at all. So you're basically saying wait for the documentary to come out, like the behind the scenes documentary. Or I don't something. think it'll ever get made, but that would be much more interesting. Yeah. You'd want to watch that though? I'd be interested by it, certainly. Yeah. I don't know that I'd watch it. Probably read the summary on Wikipedia. Okay. Right, there we go. How's that? Nice work, man. Let's do movie news. Movie news. 
Daniel Day-Lewis has announced he's retiring from acting. Yes, imagine that. And the big deal is that no reason has been given. His agent put it up and didn't explain why he's given up acting. And all anyone can do is speculate. Other people, and a lot of people are making the same joke. The jokes saying, are coming, saying yeah, he's method acting, he's yeah, method yeah. acting how to be a, an actor that quits. Exactly, classic. And other people are saying, don't worry, he'll be back soon. Do we have anything original to say? Not really, other than the, this guy is a guy who is renowned for taking a long break between projects. He won't do any project unless he is completely sold on it. He's turned down the biggest names in direction there is. He turned, it, Steven Spielberg had to convince him for like six months solid to do Lincoln really which and he, he won, won an Oscar, Oscar for, for. Yeah. yeah so this is a guy who is so picky about what he does and I think basically I'm not convinced he's actually retiring I think he will be tempted back by the right role and uh, by the right director it's almost like you could see the movie it's that scene where you say oh he hasn't worked in years and then it's like this yucky, plung, plucky young guy goes up and says, I've got this project. You need to do it. Look at it. But the thing and he is- says, no, get out, get out, leave. <laughs> I'm done with acting. Good day, sir. And yeah. then he, the guy leaves it on the porch or whatever, and he happens to read it later, and he says, all right, the thing is, I'll I'm- do your movie. <laughs> that's a good scene. You can imagine that. Yeah, that can, is a, that's a movie it. scene, isn't it? But maybe, maybe I'm too credulous, but I just don't understand why he would bother releasing that statement, because he already has that reputation. He could take a 20-year break, and everyone could be saying, when's he ever going to come? come back and then have that scene that you so artfully acted out for us phil i i feel like this is a final thing i and the thing is there are so many reasons why that could be the case like for all you know it could be illness related it could be family related it could be it could be anything it could be he wants to move into being a director or something like it could be it could literally be anything i do think this might be him over uh, on in front of the camera i don't know i basically i think the guy is committed to what he does and he does everything completely wholeheartedly but it doesn't mean he... I just am not convinced that it would be a final decision because the guy is too interested and too interesting to not have constantly people trying to woo him back. Well, there we go. Listeners, I mean, in case you didn't catch that, there's our little service for you. There's the news. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which film would you recommend they check him out in, if indeed this is it for him? There Will Be Blood is That's the one. outstanding. What about Last of the Mohicans? Because when, when I knew that he was in that, I was too young to really understand cinema, and I heard the name Daniel Day-Lewis, and he sounded like someone out of Neighbours. <laughs> so in my head, Daniel Day-Lewis was like this heartthrob guy, <laughs> like <laughs> Jason Donovan-esque sort of chap. Um, but it turns out, no, that's not the case. And Last of the Mohicans is great. I mean, he, the thing is, he's very picky about his, uh, his roles, and he he's won the most uh, Best Actor nominations or... Uh, Something like that. I'm not sure, Actual actually. statues, I think he's won the most. He's only beaten by Audrey Hepburn, I think he is. Not Audrey Hepburn. What's the Hepburn? C- Catherine Hepburn. Catherine yeah, Hepburn, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But seriously, check out There Will Be Blood. I think that is an outstanding film, which is just remarkable because of his performance sure. it carries that film I wouldn't in a way. check out Lincoln by the way <laughs> would you not <laughs> I, I've, me, me and Judith both really had to fight hard not to fall asleep oh, in it's cinema. a difficult technical film I think yeah, unless you understand American politics you're going to struggle but sorry did you think I cut he you was, off do you think he was good in that uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't met Abraham Lincoln, so it's hard to say. I mean, he was compelling on the screen, and a- Lincoln was certainly not the way that I would have imagined him uh, from other portrayals, like, um, you know, the most historically accurate of all, <laughs> Bill, Bill and Ted. Ted. <laughs> <laughs> Four score, and yeah, exactly. Hurry um, on, dude. <laughs> what a film that is. We need to do that sometime. Bill and Ted's great. Uh, sorry, Phil, you finish off with There Will Be Blood, and we'll do the second story. Basically, I think you should go see it, because it is Daniel Day-Lewis uh, being the most interesting, conniving, sort of likeable, sort of detestable uh, oil guy there is. And it's an amazing film. Paul Thomas Anderson, 
a really interesting study on ambition and power dynamics. It's Paul Dano as well, isn't it? Yeah, really interesting film. Not necessarily a pleasant film, but a really interesting film. Okay, right, second story time. Lego Movie directors Phil Lord and Chris Miller have been perhaps fired from directing the spin-off Han Solo Star Wars franchise movie. Yeah, big story this. Well, or is it? Is it just something a run-of-the-mill and just classic Hollywood, but because it's Star Wars, it's a big deal? Don't say that. That was my point. I told you that yesterday in confidence. <laughs> well, okay, tell, tell that's me that. terrible. No, you need to do it the other way. Do it as if you would have done it. Do it as you did when we talked about this yesterday. Okay. Yeah, it's crazy. I can't believe that they. Uh, it's a massive film. They're cutting it in the middle of the production. This film's already ruined, surely. Yeah, well, Phil, it's so interesting you say that, because I wonder whether there's another... This is terrible, isn't it? Perspective on the matter, which is that if you look back over the course of Hollywood history, especially at some big names, massive blockbuster films, huge budgets, actually directors being fired and being replaced, uh, screenwriters being fired and being replaced, huge names attached to projects being fired and replaced happens all the time and has happened all the time. The key thing with Star Wars is it is like the under the hottest, largest fan and industry um, spotlight. Yeah, spotlight magnifying glass that there has ever been in history with social media the way it is now. So absolutely everything in that project is scrutinized. And so when something like this happens, it feels like a titanic error. That said, so I mean, that that's me just trying to, you know, turn the hype button down. That said, you made a good point, which is that this is quite far into filming. I think they're like three weeks uh, away from finishing like principal photography, which just is such a bizarre time to to stop production and change directors. And it doesn't bode well because they've done like 90% of the movie. Like 90% of the movie is in the can. And you'd think they and would you've be got involved this... in casting, right, as well. Yeah, like they've, they've got to this point of the movie with everything being fine. And they're saying it's creative differences. And they're saying, I know that's a cliche, but it is creative differences. Kathleen Kennedy is the one, isn't it? Yeah. But it's worrying because you think of what that could mean, which is, is this because they want to do something which is original and fresh and different, but... The producers are coming in saying we need to protect our brand. We need to make sure it fits in with the the Star Wars brand and isn't too edgy or out there. And we kind of want to knock the edges off this pointy, unique film. Well, the thing is, or it could be the other way around, couldn't it? And I think this is the thing that everyone, you know, directors who get fired are are kind of in a win-win because they'll get their money. They'll probably get an amazing severance package if that's how it works. I don't quite know how it works in Hollywood. And fans will only ever speculate that the film they could have made would have been better. I think it's, it's stacked against the studios in this regard because, and I felt this with Gareth Edwards and Rogue One, for all we know, Gareth Edwards was the reason that that film was a bit miserable and it was Tony Gilroy and his research that made it fun at all and it could be exactly the same here for all you know Phil Lord and Chris Miller could have been doing something really derivative and badly edgy and problematic or too formulaic and Kathleen Kennedy is bringing it back on course we'll never know it's difficult to say but I think with this particular film and in general I think the Han Solo character is very much a fan favourite and so the idea of anything being not certain or having wobbles with that character is not going to go down well and I think losing these guys is going to make a lot of fans nervous. Well, definitely, and it has already done that for sure. Listeners, what are your thoughts on both those stories? Daniel Day-Lewis' retirement and then also Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, or Chris Miller, however he goes by, uh, leaving the Han Solo Project. We'd like to know your thoughts. That was quite a good, Phil. I felt like we were on opposite sides there. Mm, unusual. Yeah. Or, no, that used to be always the case. <laughs> That's true, actually. Have we amalgamated into one sort of thought being? That's upsetting, isn't it? Mm. Um, I don't want to be your thought being. Movie news. <laughs> what have we been watching this week? Whoa. <laughs> what are 
are you trying are you doing like a sort of uh, what's the what's the name Shakira version that's really good stuff man um, right listeners two older films that we're going to review and we're going to do them nearly as fast as last time how did you think that went I think it was good it's good having that little whip behind us kind of motivating us challenge time okay what's your film this week Phil this week I'm going to do Thor The Dark World that's the sequel to Thor the original one with Chris Hemsworth directed by Kenneth Branagh yes it's the second one in the Thor franchise nice and I'm going to do The Sweetest Thing starring Cameron Diaz The Sweetest Thing (laughs) Uh, what's her name Christina Applegate and Selma Blair and also Tom Jane who I'm looking forward to talking about oh Mm. okay you first why don't you go first I'm interested in The Sweetest Thing Mm, you shouldn't be alright here we go (laughs) don't spoil it when it comes to dating Oops. Uh, uh. These three friends have their own rules. We've all had our hearts stomped on one too many times. There is no Mr. Right. Christina. Dating is all about boundaries. Hi. You might really like him. Maybe. Courtney. What's up? Nothing. What's up with you? Nothing. What's up with you? Nothing. Jane. Is that what I think it is? Uh, yeah, I will take it to the dry cleaners and it will be gone. What's this? Columbia Pictures presents... You! Oh, God! The most unexpected... Apparently, they're stuck. I have a piercing. <laughs> comedy of the Year. I dropped the thingy to my lip gloss. I'll get it. <laughs> the sweetest thing... They're fake. They look... You can touch it if you want to. Uh, touch it. That's why chicks always go to the bathroom together. Why were you watching The Sweetest Thing? That's a good question, Phil. I'm glad that you asked it because I watched it solely on the non-recommendation of Adam and Joe. As you know, I'm a big fan of their shows. Yeah, you are. Yeah, and I was re-listening to some of their stuff and they played a clip from the commentary of The Sweetest Thing as part of a competition. You had to guess. Guess the what, commentary. Yeah. yeah, terrible commentary. Where's this from? And uh, Christina Applegate, Summer Blair and Cameron Diaz are all just giggling. It's a ter- it is a terrible <laughs> commentary. And Joe, described it as the best worst film one of the best worst films he's ever seen so i thought well i'm curious about that it's definitely a terrible film it's really bad so the basic premise and i'm afraid i can't remember any of the character names is that these three girlfriends you know have differing um success in life and love and cameron diaz meets this hunky guy at a nightclub when they're all out having fun and spurning advances from blokes um and they kind of get on well but they also don't get on very well she decides that maybe he's the guy for her and so she chases him to a wedding that she thinks he's going to for his brother but when she gets there it turns out it's this guy's wedding this guy she thinks might be the one it's actually his wedding so she has to retreat in depression and despair uh, unknowing that the guy is having second thoughts about his wedding himself so who knows where that's going to end up so it's kind of a road trip movie and kind of a girlfriend's movie altogether and the, the main thing i've got to say is that this really puts the lie to a lot of the stuff that gets released today where all anyone can talk about is oh here's finally like a laddie girl movie here's a movie in which the girls get to have as much fun as the guys because i think this is ruder and raunchier than anything that i've seen released in the last couple of years and that includes all these minister mccarthy films and ghostbusters this film did it way earlier and it was set in 2000 it's in 2002 so in a way that's not really a surprise it's 15 years ago actually you could be a lot ruder in odd ways than you can actually get away with now it's funny that we have this way of thinking that films are moving forwards or something with pushing boundaries 
progressivism. Yeah, and I, I think it's actually not as true as we like to think it is. It's fun to say, and it's fun to say on Twitter, you know, as much as you like with loads of hashtags. Mm. But I promise you, watch this film and you'll be slightly taken aback uh, by the raunchiness of it. You know, in a nutshell, I think this is a film in quotes for girls for guys. So it's that in that order. It's a girl. It's a film for girls for guys because it's what guys I think would like to imagine. Girls, girls really want, or yeah, girl, like. or, and and that they're all like when they're having fun together. I think that's anyway because it's definitely not representative of many women that I know. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't play the sort of girl next door fairy tale thing that you might expect. It's not a rom com by any stretch of the imagination. It tries to invert a lot of things, and so there's gross out stuff. There's incredibly rude gags, and they treat men quite you know badly and make fun of them a lot. And like the opening scene is this sort of montage of all these guys describing Cameron Diaz's character and how terrible she is because she she led them on basically. It definitely doesn't do anything to challenge gender stereotyping at all, uh, but it's not quite what you think. If you can cope with a lot of lewdness and rudeness and you're in the mood for a really dumb, fun movie, then you might like this, but I think a lot of people yeah, are not going to get on board. How were the leads in it, Samuel Blair, Cameron Diaz and stuff? What I was quite impressed by is that although they're playing characters who are kind of straightforward, they're smart, Phil. I I was quite impressed by the smartness because they've got good comic timing, especially Christina Applegate. And so it's no surprise that she then got cast in Anchorman down the line, right, where she's Mm. brilliant as Veronica Corningstone, which is a great name as well. Uh, Cameron Diaz is better in this than she is in The Holiday. I don't really like her. I think her best work is as a voice actor in Shrek. (laughs) Um, I think you're right there, yeah. Yeah, and Selma Blair is just... She's weird. She's almost like a, a timepiece it's like she's been buried in the ground at a time capsule <laughs> because she so <laughs> represents cinema that used to be made but it's not made anymore um it's directed by the same guy who did cruel intentions which is an awful film that is also of its time have you seen that no i've never seen it and it, so it, i'm not surprised that she got cast she sort of encapsulated this sort of demure um sex symbol thing around that the early noughties that i don't really like um, mm. and she, she just plays that role as it is um so for me it gets a c but I'm really curious to know if anyone, you know, is this a guilty pleasure of anybody's or whether you agree with what I've said or not so much. Cool. Oh, yeah. And Tom Jane, I said I was going to talk about him. Yeah, he, I do. It's hilarious to me that he's this heartthrob guy because my first introduction to Tom Jane is in Arrested Development where he plays an actor pretending to be a homeless man uh, to get into character for a role. Do you remember that? Oh, and he yeah. he goes, I'm Tom Jane. That's his line all the time. When the girl in Arrested Development wants to go out with him, he says, I can't. I'm Tom Jane. <laughs> and I thought the joke was, who's Tom Jane? <laughs> I've never heard of Tom Jane. <laughs> but, but he's he is. He's like a heartthrob in the early 2000s. And now you'll see him. If you ever watch The Expanse on Netflix, he plays the private investigator guy who's got half a shaved head. His career trajectory is bizarre. And it's really <laughs> weird to see him playing a blonde center partying heartthrob in this. Weird. Bizarre. Really, really weird. So an interesting timepiece, but probably one to avoid on the whole. Phil, your film. Thor The Dark World. After all this time, now you come to visit me, brother. Why? I need your help. But I wish I could trust you. If you did, you'd be the fool I always took you for. Some believe that before the universe, there was nothing. They're wrong. There was darkness, and it has survived. I gave you my word. I would return for you. If 
face an enemy, known only to a few. Known only to one. You must be truly desperate to come to me for help. If we do nothing, they will destroy us. You even think about betraying him. I'll kill you. That was from New York. I like her. Thor, your bravery will not ease your pain. Your family, your world will be extinguished. We're running out of time. The very fabric of reality will be torn apart. Find a way to save us all. Gotta be honest, man. Watching that trailer as well as listening to it, I cannot remember anything about this film. I thought I could. Uh, this is the thing that I want to talk about because I feel like it is the runt of the Marvel film litter. Really? We say in the sense that people ignore it and it's forgotten about. And actually, I think there is stuff to enjoy in this film. And maybe it's been given an unfair whack. Okay. By Thor's hammer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, definitely not scripted. Got. Definitely not scripted. That's terrible. <laughs> That's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so this we've got Chris Hemsworth. Uh, he's playing the titular character Thor. We've also got Tom Hiddleston in probably his only role that I actually like him in as Loki, his uh, sort of conniving younger brother. Yeah, it's almost as playing a bad guy, nasty, mean guy suits him better or something. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Uh, you also got Anthony Hopkins as Odin, Thor's dad. You've got Nancy Portman as Jane something. I can't remember her surname. She's the love interest of Thor. And uh, all the kind of side characters from the first film, they come back. Basically, the plot is uh, we've got the Dark Elves. The Dark Elves are coming to attack Asgard. They're sort of an ancient race that uh, wants to destroy all of life and live in the darkness. And this is led by Mel- Malkith or some Malakith or something like that. Melkioth. Melkioth. Yeah. Some Mel- 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 Malakarigadoth. <laughs> yeah, one of them. Played by Christopher Eccleston. Is it but really? But you would never know it because he doesn't <laughs> say anything and he's covered in makeup the whole time and he has nothing to do in this film. And yeah, I think the Thor franchise is a strong franchise. I think the characters of Thor, Loki, the setting of Asgard, all are brilliant. I think they really are brilliant and are underrated. What, in, in the, the design or just the ideas or what? Both. I think it's a really strong idea because it's based on ancient mythology from yeah. the Asgard. You know, like it's all Vikings and all that sort of stuff. Norse stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's all played well. It's not done in a kind of super serious way, even though that trailer, I think, presents it as very serious yeah, and sort of music. dramatic cool. and end of the world stuff. The actual film itself is quite lighthearted and there's particular scenes which i think were really well done watching it again i really like the scene when the dark elves do attack asgard you go to asgard and it's this sort of beautiful golden cladded city and then you've got these sort of ancient looking bizarre alien ships attacking this kind of old style world and that's a really exciting sequence where you don't really know what the objectives of the enemies are you don't really know how it's all going to pan out and yet you've got Thor running around with his big old hammer doing Thor stuff and shooting lightning bolts and flying around. And there's even a nice little daring escape between uh, Loki and Thor. They, they decide from that trailer to team up to help each other. And uh, Loki's been in prison, so they have to break out Loki from Asgard in order to go and do their little adventure. That's kind of classic stuff, isn't it? 
Yeah, and those two characters, Thor and Loki, brothers, believe it or not, are quite interesting to watch. Like, yeah. there's some sort of nice chemistry between them where they love each other but hate each other at the same time. And they have good banter. They're constantly sort of saying, oh, how stupid you are. And having sort of Thor be a slightly dumb idiot stoic type who's super muscular and then having a kind of slender wiry but quite witty loki it's a good juxtaposition Scar that works Mufasa, well. man scar Mufasa. exactly that it's exactly that isn't it scar yeah, Mufasa. Yeah, yeah. it's not a perfect film but it's very fun i think there's good action pieces the characters are strong check it out again i really would check it out and i think lots of people skipped it because they weren't that fussed about thor one i think thor as a franchise does have some problems in the sense that nassie portman is not a good love interest she doesn't want to be there people don't really want her but they're forcing it down the throats bizarrely the sort of one of the sidekick characters cat dennings do you know the She's two broke girls girl yeah two broke girls girl she would be much better suited to thor than uh nancy portman would be because she's this sort of wisecracking slightly alternative girl and then you put that with a norse god i yeah. think that would make for better interesting better dramatic scenes, the idea that he thing. thinks this girl is wonderful because she's sort of bizarre and constantly sort of making these bizarre jokes that he doesn't get i think that would be much more interesting chemistry wise instead you've got Nasty Portman, he's just pretty and a bit of a blank slate, which is kind of well, unforgivable. I mean, like you say, she doesn't want to be there, and we know that, because I don't think she's coming back, is she? Yeah, I think she's tried desperately to get out of the contract. She didn't want to be in this film, but she was contracted to be there. I think there. you can see it in her performance. Yeah, honest, and it's, yeah. Just, it's just kind of nothing. Well, I agree with you, man. I, I, even though I, I said I couldn't remember any details, I do remember enjoying it. It actually had a similar vibe to me as another Chris Hemsworth-led film, Snow White and the Huntsman, and a sequel to that as well. Kind of a rollicking think, adventure. Yeah, I think they've been unfairly panned. They definitely hit the right light entertainment mark. I do think there's slight missteps in the final act, which is set in Greenwich, London, believe oh, it or yeah. not. Oh, yeah, isn't it with the Naval Museum? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They like, go there in uh, Transformers as well. Yeah, so there's this kind of uh, interesting warping mechanic that's used which makes for some funny jokes but probably missed time jokes it's one of those times where you feel like they're trying to do the marvel thing with the kind of jokey th- side of it all but they just time it wrong and so it undercuts some of the tension of the action pieces but the jokes work i think it is quite a funny movie and it look judging from the trailer for the next in the thor franchise thor ragnarok oh, they yeah. seem to be going more more down the humor side of it uh, but it seems to be more influenced by guardians of the galaxy and so maybe it'll find its feet a bit more and maybe it'll find a bit more of an audience than Thor The Dark World did. But go check it out. I think it's, it's better than you think it from is. You. Yeah, I think it's good fun. And what's the grade? grade for me is uh, B-. minus. I don't think it's brilliant. I don't think it's bad. Whew, there we go, listeners. What we've been watching, not as fast as last week, but hopefully Whose fault was that, though? Whose fault was that? What do you think? What do you mean? How is it my fault? Because <laughs> you took longer. That's not true. You're, I bet you anything your review is longer than mine. Well, check the, check the I time. Will. I will, okay? I will. How about that? I will. I will. I will. <laughs> right, Phil, we're on track for another long episode. Hooray! We always do it. We fail. We're so, such failures. We've got too much to, to say and we bamble on, don't but, we? But, you know, we still manage to... Loads of podcasts are always releasing, like, two-hour episode or one-hour 45 episodes, right? Yeah. We, we don't, so... Yeah. Yeah, it was a hollow comparison, wasn't it? <laughs> Listeners, so I'm going to really quickly going to take you through this movie love, movie hate thing. So let's play the movie love jingle first. Movie love, I love it, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yep, yep, yep. That's a classic jingle. I haven't heard that far too long. Phil, I love it when the elderly generation or the older generation are portrayed well in film. And I hate it. Here's the jingle for movie hate. Movie hate. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> There you go. When they're portrayed badly. And, you know, it's all subjective. We've both got opinions about this. Let me give you some examples of when they're done well. I think this uh, Japanese filmmaker, Hirokazu Koreda, in the film After the Storm, did a fantastic job with the character's grandmother. She is so subtly and normally played uh, by a terrific actress without any tweeness and without any 
obvious patronization that I could see so that she is an integral part of the film. One of my favorite scenes is when she has saved um, some old ice cream in the freezer for when her son next comes over. And her son is a grown man. She's an old lady. When he turns up, she brings out these frozen ice creams from the freezer and says, well, I didn't want to waste them. And then they both sit there and he's like, this is solid rock. And he's chipping away at it with a spoon. She said, we need to break through the top and the good stuff's underneath. And then they sit there both like hacking away <laughs> this frozen ice cream. And after a while, they look at each other and laugh. I love that. What a great scene. She didn't need to say anything about how, oh, he's really helping her in her old age. You know, she didn't need to do anything. She was just a character, a person who was involved in this guy's life. I loved that. And if I can give my hate version, I really, really hate uh, the old guy in the holiday who basically serves as a foil to Kate Winslet to show her how wonderful she is and how sensitive she is. He's an award-winning screenwriter who has no friends and is unable to do things for himself. And when she just happens to turn up and help him down the road, he suddenly falls in love with her in a sort of platonic way and says how amazing she is and how she's a leading lady. And literally all she did was help him across the road. And she does all this laughter as if hanging out with these older guys is the best thing in the world. To me, that's patronising, I think. Phil, your turn. I agree. I, it really bugs me. I hate it when old people in films are not given any credit as real people with real emotions. My big bugbear is when you get that the cheesy older character who happens to say something a little bit naughty and they're like, oh, grandma, I can't believe you said that. And in fact, there's one really clear example in uh, Runaway Bride. Yeah, that's right. I like his tight butt. Grandma? Well, I do. Well, I do. Yeah. It's just a problem because... What do they expect? How did they arrive in there? If they're, if it's her grandma, (laughs) she's obviously been a younger woman who has produced children. So I don't know why they're pretending like they're sort of these uh, fake people that don't exist. Like they're a separate category. They're not human anymore. Just treat them like people because they are people. They're just older people. Well, I mean, but maybe that film, just to come back at you, is doing something more subtle there because, like, maybe they're suggesting the older generation had more propriety than the current one and they wouldn't have said things like that, whereas now they do say things like that and it's, oh, I can't believe that. But I, I do slightly agree with you, Phil. But also it's such an easy sort of way to, like, get a laugh, I think. I don't like it when old people are kind of pigeonholed into a certain set of mold. reduced to a stereotype. I want them to be people, they're characters. Just because they're old doesn't mean they can't be characters. I'm with you, Phil. And have you got a good version? I really like the uh, character, the grandfather, in um, Freaky Friday, Lindsay Lohan and uh, oh, yeah, Jamie that's Curtis. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's played for comedy. He has a nice little dynamic with his, uh, his grandson, who's the brother of Lindsay Lohan's character. And uh, maybe this is unfair. He's constantly getting freaked out because he hears somebody says, oh, there's been an earthquake. And he thinks, oh, no, there's an earthquake, earthquake. (laughs) And everyone's saying, calm down, calm down. And I don't know why, but I think that's quite nice because he's not a fool. He just misunderstood something and he has something genuine to say. I like there's one scene in particular when the stepdad of Lindsay Lohan, who's trying to sort of impress uh, his soon to be stepdaughter. Oh, yeah, sure. Yes. Yeah. He's he's over trying and he and he and the grandfather just turns to him and says, "Just chill out, man. You you gotta like you can't just try and buy her. You gotta let her come to you a little bit or something." And he just gives some sort of sage wisdom, like actual advice that an older person would have. <laughs> yeah, to exactly. Give. Like right, as in, yeah. just chill out, take a step back. I like that. I like the fact that I like the fact that he has range in that film, and that's what I feel like any character should have. They should yeah. be people. They should be real. 
Well, there we go. Nice work, Phil. This is we've had to really shorten this, and I wish we hadn't because this is maybe a better segment than some of the ones that we gave more time to. <laughs> well. like, this is <laughs> partly because I saw a Guardian article recently, which was um, sort of throwing up the whole grey pound idea in cinema and saying, "Oh, is it getting annoying? Is it too much?" And this is because recently there have been a lot of films which are very clearly targeted towards an older audience, uh, like Last Vegas with Robert De Niro and Morgan Freeman in it, didn't it? Yep. Guys, that, and the Bucket List as well like all these famous actors who are now older and it's films about how they're older basically the and second um, marigold hotel yeah film. best the uh, second best exotic whatever it is uh, marigold hotel and they were sort of saying blah 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 is that a problem i don't think it's a problem to have films that cater for a demographic i mean that's what all films do but it is interesting the way that the older generation is represented on film so we want to know your thoughts are you a movie love person who's got great examples or are you a movie hate person who's got some bad examples give us both let's have a chat you can get in touch at super baby bros on twitter or you can email in superbabybros at gmail.com there we go bullet speed what hold on there we go light speed <laughs> Emails, emails, emails. Here we go. Thanks so much, that everyone. That was not a song. Come on, do a proper well, you, song. You do one, please. No, your turn. Um. Oh look, what's that? It's an email. Oh look, what's that? It's a tweet. How's that? Do you like? <laughs> I it? like that a lot. Thanks, Phil. Right, Esther. Thanks very much for tweeting at Superbelly Rose. Ooh, new logo? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> I like the, the tone you're giving that to Well, me. and also, Angeline, at Superbellio, swish new logo, bros. Uh, hey, thanks very much. Yes, I have been talking on and off for ages about wanting to update our branding, so I did it, and I like it. I hope, I'm glad you guys do like it as well. It's all cynical marketing reasons, so it's easier to read in thumbnails, isn't it, Laurie? I just thought we needed something updated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just so that people know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you do like it, Phil. Are you happy? Yeah, it's clean, it's effective. You what know, I it's like- new, it's edgy. <laughs> I like that it emphasises the little eight-bit guys that you did so uh, well, uh, and you need to do another one for Benedict. Phil. I do. On, I'm going to go. He's right. waiting. He's written us some uh, great stuff. Come yeah. On, okay. Come on. Come on. Okay. Thanks very much for that, listeners. Hope you like it. Susanna uh, got in touch at Super Belly Bros. Have you heard about this question mark? I'm intrigued. And it was Donald Gleeson being cast as Christopher Robin in the upcoming sort of Winnie the Pooh movie. Have you heard about it? Is he going to play a mature Christopher Robin? I think that's the idea. It's sort of an origin story. And he's re- recollecting the story or something like that. Something like that. I mean, I admit, Susanna, I haven't looked too far into it. What I can tell you is I think we've already been invited to a long lead screening of it, Phil. Hooray! Um, Didn't know that. I'm, I'm either imagining that or we've been given early access to a trailer. So we will definitely... You know, we, I keep getting all this stuff and I never use it. That's what a journalist are for, isn't it? You get the yeah. early stuff and you talk about it early. But we tend to talk about it late. That's our style. Uh, we will get on that and tell you our thoughts as soon as we can. Yeah, and as it happens, we can give you some right up to the minute news right now because we were recording before this news was announced. But Phil, uh, apparently, Ron Howard is going to take over on the Han Solo movie. He's going to fill in. Yeah, imagine that. I think that's a bad choice. There we go. <laughs> why do you think it's a bad choice? We can't talk about it here, Phil. It's emails. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, well, we can. Come on, tell me why he's a good choice. Uh, he did Apollo. What's his face? Didn't he? Yeah, that was a long time. That's a ago. space movie. <laughs> Can you imagine if he directed it like that? Okay, well, there you go. Good movie, that. Send us your thoughts, listeners, on that. Thanks, Susanna, for that tweet. Alistair got in touch a couple of times, and he did say, uh, at Super Rose, in my view, Christopher Nolan is the best and most exciting director working today and has not done a bad film yet. Dunkirk will be ace. Your thoughts, Phil? Uh, I think we talked about this on the trailer thing. I'm nervous. I'm not sure if the setting can really uh, give a story, because it's not really a story. It's uh, an event. It's something that happened. And the event is actually two sentences long, isn't it? 
there were people trapped on on beach and then people came and rescued them yeah i know you've expressed these uh, thoughts i'm i'm hopeful because oh, chris nolan I'm at hopeful, the very yeah. least knows how to make something uh, interesting certainly something well produced and stylish but i can't agree with you alistair i do not i do not rate him that highly i like chris nolan i think he's probably the guy who's doing new independent projects uh, not based on franchises and things like that. He gets money for his films. And yeah, he got his launch off a franchise, really, didn't he? I mean, yeah. Memento was his first one, but uh, the Batman trilogy, you know, really saw him through. But Batman was, like, dead at that point. you got to give him credit. He basically relaunched Batman himself. Yeah, and, and set DC on the most miserable course imaginable. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Yeah. All right, come on, let's move on. Thanks for that, Alistair. Um, Nicola got in touch. Churchill, for a believable portrayal of Churchill, see the guy in the crown on Netflix. Superb. And in fact, um, Charles Nove, the BBC Radio Oxford guy, said exactly the same thing. Apparently this portrayal of Churchill in the crown is amazing. Have you seen it, Laurie? No. <laughs> we should. But I heard the crown is a very good TV show. I to keep check hearing out. that kind of stuff as well, yeah. I'm always put off by these things, man. Apparently the royals like it as well. Do they indeed? Something oh, like that. Time to reconsider, maybe. Uh, she carries on, not reverential, covers his flaws, but a real person who you could believe was capable of great leadership. Good show, guys. The animation idea for your bonus offering sounds interesting. Looking forward to checking it out. Keep looking. Haven't done it yet. <laughs> I will do it my very best to get there. Yes, I hope I wasn't too annoying to listen to my thoughts on Churchill. I did find it miserable. But I'd, I'd really love to know your thoughts, listeners, if you've been to see it. Uh, an email here from Grace Phil that is uh, got me quaking in my boots. You ready? <laughs> yeah. I uh, said, hi, Phil and Laurie. Hope you're both well. Haven't been in touch for a while. I've been silently listening to your shows whilst working. And then all of a sudden, I came across your last episode about symbolism. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> this next sentence makes me uh, nervous. I found that Laurie's view on symbolism was contradictory to his views that he had about studios selling out and all these fast food films creating stuff without hiding its intent for profit. Although symbolism is the bread and butter of any film study slash course, it is much more dynamic than that. Symbolism just as creatively leaves its mark on a film as the art director does or the cinematographer does. Sometimes it expresses the views of the director in a way he can't get an actor to say to the screen, whether it's about the plot or even about current affairs, which would also be lazy script writing to just say it all in exposition, that's true. You can argue that it's a tool that can be used to enrich and enhance a cinema goer's experience rather than reduce it. I guess they could be seen as Easter eggs, but... I think there are many other things you could interpret in that way too. As she carries on, this is going to sound massively pretentious. I'm sure it won't, Grace. No more pretentious than anything we've ever said, for sure. But the most enriching forms of any art are the ones which you can take lots of meaning from. They tend to leave a bigger impression on you and are more likely to lead to enjoyment over and over again. So your fast food films, for example, are less likely to have these enriching experiences. Therefore, you tend to throw it out of your mind after you've seen it straight away at the cinema. So if anything, you want your films to be as enriching as possible in the way that the directors choose. I hope that ramble makes sense. It does make sense. Like you said, she says, you can easily write essays about all of this. Um, Grace, I mean, that's a very stirring um, uh, point there that, uh, yeah, has had me thinking about it. I, I really hope what I did during that uh, quick symbolism thing was be clear that I was trying to be provocative rather than... Um... I just like the fact that basically <laughs> she was like, oh yeah, I've been listening, just enjoying the show, but Laurie said something so stupid I had to get in touch. <laughs> you, you make a very good case, which is that, you know, and it's kind of what you said, Phil, right? It's one of the key parts of a director's toolkit and it can be used in any number of ways for any number of purposes. I perhaps should have been more clear and explicit is that the kind of symbolism that really grates for me is the stuff that you really, really won't notice unless you go back to revise it and specifically notice it. And even then, that doesn't bother me because, as you say, actually you want a film to have multiple layers so that you can get a deeper enjoyment out of it every time you watch it. I just... Uh, maybe I'm, I'm sort of yeah, digging myself into a deeper hole. I think it's more to do with the, the people who go into the films and then connect the dots and 
start making arguments basically based around nothing. I think what you're really getting annoyed is academia and the essayists. No, I, I like academia, Phil. I mean, no, I, I, I love that. I like essayists, proper academia, I'm on board with. That was just a quick way to say it. Maybe the stuff I don't like is, is the more sort of current form of internet uh, amateur academia where you have people writing fan theories and people saying you won't believe the connection between these two things right you can already see that click yeah. uh, clickbait headline yeah. i hate all that stuff because it makes the whole film thing about look what i can do with this and it doesn't make it about look what this film does yeah because i think a film to be really impressive it should be able to grab anybody you don't you shouldn't have to be a genius or someone who's really amazing at analyzing stuff to be able to enjoy a film which is why grace i think there is merit to those fast food films that you're mentioning and, and that you said phil because actually they're they're there to to raise a emotional response and i consider if you can do that artistically i think that is impressive it won't stay with you forever but it will generate a positive experience <laughs> grace you can't see Laurie's worried face <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, not making any sense anymore. <laughs> I'm not sure if it did make sense i kind of lost it at the end there but oh, sorry hopefully you could make something of that listeners and enjoyed the discussion but what a brilliant email listeners we love that kind of thing do call us out especially i mean the, the key word that really got me shivering was contradictory i'm like oh <laughs> no what have i done like my head was in my hand i was thinking oh, we just spout so much rubbish we've been doing it for years <laughs> we're bound to contradict each other sooner or later yeah uh but thank you that's great uh p.s she says i can't remember who recommended it but got round to watching sing street and it is such a genuine and wonderful film which is full of symbolism just saying <laughs> she says uh thank you so much for the recommendation we both recommended we that, both that we? was the one which we gave the official billy Bo's seal of approval didn't we absolutely and we were flabbergasted that it didn't get a bigger distribution in the cinema so if you still haven't seen it you must i think it's, it might even be on netflix or something it's on netflix now i've seen it yeah it is such a great feel-good time and great to hear there's layers of symbolism i'll have to rewatch it and uh, write them all down in my notepad and then write an essay about it and, <laughs> and get loads of followers on youtube it's the fan theory move on man move on Grace, brilliant. Thanks so much for getting in touch. I've actually got a lot of stuff, Phil. Should I write you want? I've got quite a long email here. I'm tempted to save for next week, shall I? What is it? It's about Interstellar. No, read it now. I want to hear it right now. But well, come on, we, we've all got a long show already. No, read it out. <sighs> all right, okay. Is Interstellar or not? I think the question there is, it, is it stellar? Is it Interstellar? <laughs> yeah, I got it, got it, got it. Brothers, he says, this is from Johnny Valentine. Watched Interstellar the other evening, had wanted to watch it for quite a while, but it is of an inconvenient length. You had to set aside half a day to watch it. Anyway, I don't think it's quite that long, is it? It's quite a long film. It's not a short film, but I don't think it's half a day's worth of film. <laughs> uh, anyway, he says, the wife was away, had just made some homemade nuggets. What? Perfect for Interstellar. Okay. <laughs> I have to say, going into this, I'm not a huge Scientist Fi fan. I love that. Scientist Fi. If only it was that. Sci- <laughs> fiction written for scientists. Uh, my main hang-up is that often they just use faux science to sort of explain the unrealistic stuff away. The basic plot of a lot of Science Fi movies is, intro, look at this world, it's so different where you are because of X, Y, or Z. Then something goes wrong. Oh no, we need to do this bit of science so that this bit of science can happen. Oh wow, we're all saved. Much prefer it if they just said magic. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit of a kind of uh, deus ex machina, isn't it? Isn't that thing? It's, it's sort of a more culturally acceptable way of just explaining problems or, or van- dissolving problems from your script, yeah. Uh, anyway, he says, so going on into Interstellar, I was dreading it. But what I got was totally not what I expected. I quite enjoyed the setup. Life on Earth dying out, need to go somewhere to find the habitable planet. Although I was massively distracted by the fact that I thought I'd seen the daughter in another film. It turned out I thought uh, she was the young potty mouth drummer boy from Love Actually. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> they they do look uncanny, do they? Yeah, they do. I didn't notice that. I'll have to rewatch that. I enjoyed the scenes on planets. They were cool. And generally, the stuff in space was great. For about seven eighths of the film, I was enjoying it. But there was the whole underlying story of them and the bookshelf that was doing my head in. 
And then when he finally, blah, 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 I could not get on board anymore. That was to cover spoilers, FYI listeners. The bubble had burst, no longer enjoyed it. I think that's probably reflective of quite a lot of people's feelings on Interstellar. They're like, when they finally get there, like, what? Yeah. That was it? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. For me, it's fine. It works. I'm happy and uh, I enjoy it. But it's like um, 2001 A Space Odyssey tied up to a neat little bow. No, that's not fair. That's not it's fair. It's a little bit like that. Okay, all right. He carries on. Great performance from Matt Damon. And then he gives some explanations about why, but you've refused to let us spoil that in the past. So we shan't. Good. Great. Matt Damon is great. We agree on that, Johnny Valentine. I think I therefore agree with Phil, who reviewed it, question mark, plus one to him. Yes, plus one. I thought you yes. said you didn't like it that much. I No, I said it was, uh, I said I was a big fan of it initially. I didn't think it was as good as I remembered it being. Uh, it does have some flaws, but I think it's better than people say it is. Okay. And I think the sequences on the planet and in space are really good. Nice. Okay. Also, plus one for Laurie doing all the extras. Oh, yeah. <laughs> More of that, please. <laughs> That's not allowed, is it? The bonuses at the end. No, can't have it. It's not an official plus one, but hey, I'm glad you like them. He says, I've not found myself dancing on my seat, but often found myself walking down the street thinking about a song to find out that I've actually been singing it out loud <laughs> to some passerby. Do you know, I used to do that. When I was in a band and I was trying to practice singing, an empty street was golden because you could walk down the street and try and hit the high notes when you can't really in the house because your wife says, well, do you stop that? And the neighbours, you know, thin walls, mm. uh, only to uh, have someone overtake you at walking speed that is only slightly faster than yours. <laughs> so probably for the last 10 minutes, they've heard you going, yeah, baby. That kind of thing. You're the weirdo in the street who's singing to himself. Yeah, right, exactly. So I'm right with you there, uh, Johnny Valentine. Plus ones for everyone who says, symbolism in film can do one. <laughs> Don't say that to Grace. High she level will discussion. find you in a dark alley <laughs> and confront you. Uh, <laughs> very good. Uh, two sh- final tweets to end on. We're racing through. Cal got in touch. At Super Betty Rose. Plus one to Laurie for that brilliant Tom Cruise screaming impression on last week's O podcast. Right. Your turn. Try it. Try it. I can't, do it. No, Go on, I try it. Try it. Try it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Let me do that again. Laurie, seriously. Don't put this in, you idiot face. Don't put it in. That was so bad. I wasn't in control. I was expecting it. Don't I remember me... you hit your microphone as well. <laughs> don't, don't. Are you going to try again? I can't. I can't I'm not, I don't do it I right. don't do it well it's done now isn't <laughs> no, it no Laurie don't put it in <laughs> okay thanks I appreciate that Cal uh, and finally Nicholas at Bros plus one to Laurie's non-review of Gifted oh right because I forgot it last week good or aka if Captain America raised Iron Man's daughter oh yeah I see what you mean <laughs> I like that one that's good yep uh, following hashtag Gifted he goes on what are your favourite performances of pets oh right because of the cat I didn't like the cat and gifted, to be honest, Nicholas. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I hated it. Ooh, I didn't Steve. hate it. I just thought it was a bit twee. Like, that was one of the things that had my eyes rolling because of the ways they talked about it. Uh, that's one to think about. We'll come back. Marley. Marley and me. It's about I hate that dog. film. Hate I it. like that film. It's really bad. That's it's what not, I think. Yeah. Even Woody good. Harrelson says uh, uh, Owen Wilson got outacted by a dog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. All right, we'll come back to that. That's a nice idea for a segment. And that's it. Hey, woo. Lots of emails. Thanks so much, everybody. This is a long episode. Sorry, it always happens, but hopefully it means more fun for you guys. Hopefully. Ooh, there we go. It's hot day. It is hot again. I'm a bit annoyed about it. I'm not actually annoyed. You said British weather, you'd be cold <laughs> now. It's anno- People have said we've been ungrateful, the Brits, for enjoying 30 degrees plus heat. And it is very rare for us. I think the whole country is just not set up for it. I'm just not built for it, man. I'm like dying. We've had to put heat. fans on like, around the house. <laughs> my, uh, my girlfriend bought one on Amazon Prime oh, really? because it was so hot. And I'm just like, well, it's going to be. It's going to be cold like, tomorrow <laughs> when it arrives. So 
don't know why started, she's done Today that. started off quite nice and cool, but now it's just unbearable again. It's obviously this glass box in Trafalgar Square. That's, uh, it's very hot, very hot. Uh, is it even worth carrying on with that? Yeah. <laughs> Listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. Keep in touch on superbellybros at gmail.com and at superbellybros on Twitter. Forgot to say that at the end of the emails. Please do give us your thoughts on Gifted, on Transformers The Last Night, on Rock Dog, and all the other rubbish that we've been chatting about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do get in touch. What's next week's man? What, a show? Mm. Um, I can't remember, Phil. There's probably some big films out. Oh, yeah, Baby Driver will have come ah, out. Very excited for that. Yeah. Edgar Wright, his uh, next film written and directed by Edgar Wright. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm very excited about that one too. I don't know yet whether I'm going to get into screening for it in time for the podcast, although it's out on Wednesday, isn't it? So maybe we'll be able to see it anyway. I'm hoping I'll be able to see it, yeah. Yeah, and then there's The House, which is a Will Ferrell film. Again, depends whether I get into screening for it or not. And another big release that I can't remember the name of. So we shall see. Oh, in fact, it's Despicable Me 3. Yeah. Great, so we've got another good set of films I'm coming up. I'm not promising we'll review any of those, by the way. because <laughs> oh, oh, right, okay. <laughs> it really depends whether we get into them or not. So but just ignore the last two minutes. <laughs> well, not exactly. There'll be more great stuff, Phil. Come on. Yeah, do check it out next week. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, yeah, are we doing the iTunes review thing again? Oh, yeah, please do, listeners. If you haven't reviewed our show on iTunes, and I know not everyone listens on iTunes, but I think anyone can review us on iTunes if they've got an Apple ID. So if you find us on the website, yeah, we'd really appreciate um, a, a review on there. That'd be great. It's the sort of thing that helps drive us up the charts because I think the way the iTunes charts works is new subscriptions and new comments and stuff. It's a bit of a mystery. No one seems to know. And it's very volatile going up and down all the time. But we've not troubled the like top 20 for a while. It'd be nice to be back up there and uh, get some new listeners as well. Really appreciate that if you're able to do it, listeners. Thanks very much. That's it, isn't it? Yeah, that's everything. Have a great week and we'll speak to you again shortly. Bye. Bye. So this is the bonus bit. Can I do... You cleaned house last week and did the ones which you didn't do yes. before. Can I do that now? I've got my uh, kids' embarrassing parents thing. Totally. Let's do it. Can we have a bonus off, actually? Because it's a long episode anyway. <laughs> well, have you got one as well? Yeah, I've got one I want to do. What's yeah. yours called? It's just very current. Um, a cheeky cash machine. <laughs> <laughs> you See, you do better on the titles. Mine do you think just, so? uh, Well, what they said last week, I did... Uh, the best sandwich ever. It was about the best sandwich ever. But that was funny because of its simplicity. <laughs> I enjoyed that conversation. So what, what have you got for well, us? Well, so I'm wondering, have you experienced yet deep embarrassment because of your kid? I mean, traditionally, it's the whole uh, parents embarrassing their kids because they're ch- cheesy and cringy and things like that. Yeah, yeah. This time, I was in the Pitt Rivers Museum. And you know they do, uh, in the back room, they've got kind of a darker room. Yeah, yeah with all the to, masks and stuff. To protect the exhibit. You know, it's low yeah, lighting, yeah. so the da- light doesn't damage any it's of these sort of... It's a good room. That's cool, that place. Ancient samurai armour or anything like that. But anyway, I was walking through, and it's quite close quarters and everything like that. And then I sort of was walking through, and I bumped into uh, a, a little family. And uh, I saw a mum and dad talking to their little kids. And they say, oh, look at that, look at that. And then I looked down, and I noticed that they'd been given these little kitty torches uh which were kind of had these two little bulbs in it and um you kind of click it and you can look in and at the exhibits oh, cool, in the dark yeah these kids were just holding these like like their binoculars except they were pointing the lights <laughs> into their eyes oh. <laughs> and, and literally the mum was like saw me i was like oh no and then saw me looking at these kids and she was like oh no sweetie don't do that <laughs> oh and then she literally held her hand up to her mouth in embarrassment she's like oh no and because like the little brother was doing it the little sister copied oh, no. and so they just shining lights directly <laughs> <laughs>
just staring into the LED lights. And I thought, oh, man, that is, I, I, I think that's classic it was kind of cute right and fun, yeah. but I felt a bit bad because I was laughing at these kids and this mum clearly was so like, you, I mean, oh, no. So you, you count that as the kids embarrassing their parents rather than you embarrassing I don't think I, I wasn't meaning to. She clearly she thought it was funny. She you observing that though, right? Yeah, I, I think she thought it was funny as well. And it was just a bit like, oh, oh no, these are my children and this is what they think they should do. <laughs> Flash these burning lights into their eyes. The closest I've come to that, because my kids are still a bit young for it, is that my daughter is a big fan of Hey Dougie and we watch it on the iPlayer and occasionally the iPlayer app we have on the TV just stalls and it's really annoying and it won't load the show. Mm. So I was trying to get one on for her and uh, when it fl- popped up again and said, oops, something went, I hate it when they say oops. Stop it, machines. You're a machine. Stop saying oops. Uh, so that's a side thing. Um, <laughs> that's a whole other bonus. <laughs> it said, oops, something went wrong. I went, ah, come on. And like, ah, is a Judith thing. Yeah, she's yeah, yeah. Irish. Which has crept into my vocab. And instantly my daughters went, ah, come on. <laughs> And she started doing it a lot. Like just outside, she'll be in the paddling pool. And when she, if she wants you to come and join us, she'll say, ah, oh, come on. It's terrible. So that would be embarrassing. Yes. If she said that, uh, you know, because then it says, what kind of home life does she have? It's totally innocent. It's just, hey, Dougie's fault. You can't stop them observing you. No, you can't. It's an intimidating thought. I'll tell you that. They yeah. are making themselves after you. I know. Right. Ah, oh, come on. <laughs> it is funny, but, you know, not great. Oh, uh, do you want to hear my mini bonus? Yeah, this Cheeky Cash have to Machine. Really quick now. Okay, ready? Cheeky Cash Machine. Yeah. So I was working uh, at a big communal place recently, and I needed to get some cash out. And uh, I put in my uh, card, you know, put my pin in, all that kind of stuff. I was getting ready to take out my cash. And the machine flashed up with the screen. It said, should the UK continue with Brexit? Yes or no? What? Excuse me, cash machine? <laughs> Did you just ask me to give some political views in plain view? of Like, because everyone is there, right? Everyone yeah. is Like, there was a woman behind me who was waiting to use the cash machine. And here's this cash machine asking me what I think of Brexit. Why is it? It's not a poll machine, is it? Yeah, right, exactly. And it's got my PIN number and, like, my identity there. It's like, citizen uh, THX1138 thinks we should do this. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, that's terrible. Oh, like, that's since horrible. when did that become acceptable for a cash machine to ask Cheeky you a question like machine. that? Awful. What's it going to ask me next? That's how they're going to get their exit polls, right? Terrible. Oh, horrible. That's nasty. Ugh. That's the end. Have you ever put the uh, the card in, put the the pin pad in, and then the money comes out, but you take the card and leave the money? Many times. Yeah, and I, it, the last time it happened to me, when I returned, ran back down the road to come and grab it. It had gone completely. So my instant assumption was someone's nicked it, right? Because mm. why wouldn't you? To be fair, like, it's, money. Just, it's just money right there. And if the person's not around, what are you going to do? But actually, it doesn't happen. I think the cash machine takes it back. Oh, does it? Yeah, I'm pretty oh. sure it's aware of what's happened because people are forgetful and it goes back in. It's so. like, oh, they just forgot it. We'll put it back. Exactly. <laughs> Worry not. Worry See, not. See, good machine, bad machine. Exactly. Cheeky, that's what I think. <laughs> there we go. Is it recording? Da, da, da. That's the key to go for. It's really good stuff, man. <laughs> oh. Oops. Oh, there's a gate. Oh, yeah. My, I did say... No, I, I need to change that. On, I said... Set my appointment. What? <laughs> 